shall we begin? Let the games begin. All right, all right, all right. A new age has begun. An age of freedom. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Get to the chopper! This is going to be quite a ride. Welcome to the Movie Pit Podcast. I am your host, Christian. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast this week. We have quite a lot to get to this week. Uh, we will be talking about the Oscar nominations. We will be talking about some movie trailers that came out, some movie news, and of course, that little, 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 little indie movie that came out this weekend. Um, what's it called? Uh, oh, that's right. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yes, uh, despite me saying that we weren't going to talk about it on the podcast, on the Twitter page, uh, I decided to watch it, and I will give my thoughts about it uh, at the end of the podcast. So you can uh, look forward to that. So because of that, let's get right to the <laughs> let's get right to the podcast. This so I didn't do my proper introduction. This is the Movie Pit Podcast where we talk about all the big breaking movie news items of the week, as well as the trailers and the movies that come out uh, in theaters usually. But because we're in COVID times, that's that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Of course, we'll talk about everything else. Uh, far and in between movie wise so yeah let's get right to it before we get to any of the movie news we do have two movie news items that came out after the podcast came out last week but before we even get to that i do want to mention uh the passing of someone uh yafet koto who sadly passed away this week uh on march 15th uh koto was probably better known to a lot of genre fans for his roles in alien where he played parker uh the running man with arnold schwarzenegger he was also in freddy's dead the final nightmare but uh one of the big things that he was uh, that i think most genre fans would know him from is also playing one of the bad guys in the james bond film live and let die uh so he was of course in a bunch of other projects um one of the big tv side of things that he was in was uh, homicide life on the street where he actually won several image awards for for that role uh koto was 81 when he passed away so he lived a very fruitful life i can imagine uh but yeah he he passed away this weekend uh, or this week i should say and um it's sad you know obviously whenever we lose an actor like that especially nowadays because it feels like it's happening a lot more often now because we're all at home and you know obviously there there uh, it seemed it doesn't seem like he passed away because of covid reasons he i think he probably it was probably a natural cause but um he did pass away so no he's gonna transition ever from talking about someone who's passed away it's a movie news but um i just wanted to put that out there because uh i was a fan of his i really loved him and alien um he was probably the best thing in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I haven't seen Live and Let Die, and that's uh, sadly I haven't I haven't seen that. But I know a lot of people know him from that. I know he was in it. I just have never gotten around to watching it. But uh, yeah, he, he again eighty one. That's that's a big fruitful life for his and and for everything that he's done uh, movie wise. It was it was always good. So just wanted to mention that. All right, so moving on from that, uh, let's talk about two movie news items that came out after the podcast came out last week. The first one is The Flash. Uh, Flash is finally getting the ball rolling on production uh, next month in London. That's where they're going to film the movie. Kirstie Clemens, we talked about last week, had locked her deal in to play Iris West. Uh, Iris West. And now the movie has added yet another cast member while also losing 
another. Uh, so the new cast member is Spanish actress uh, Maribel Verdu. She was the mother in Pan's Labyrinth. She was also in the very good movie uh, Itu Mama Tambien. Uh, it's a Spanish movie. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you do. Uh, Verdu will play Barry Allen's mother, who in the comics doesn't have the, the best history. Uh, but uh, she's playing the mother in the Flash movie, so we can only assume what we'll see from that, especially if you know your Flash history. Billy Crudup was the father. He played Henry Allen in Justice League. Uh, he dropped out of the movie. The reason he dropped out is because of scheduling conflicts with his Apple TV show, The Morning Show. So he couldn't really be in two places at once because I think they filmed The Morning Show here in the States. And obviously they're going to be doing a lot of their filming over in London. So um, they obviously couldn't do it. Uh, Story-wise, we still don't know much about it. We do know that the uh, multiverse will have a factor in it. Uh, we do know that Michael Keaton's Batman's going to be in it. We know that Ben Affleck's Batman's going to come back. We know that Andy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we know that uh, Sasha Kelly is playing Supergirl in the movie. We know that Andy Muschietti is directing. Of course, Andy Muschietti is the director of the It movies. Uh, and we know that uh, Christina Hudson, who wrote the script for Birds of Prey, is writing the script for the movie, or has written the script for the movie. Uh, the Flash will open presumably on November 4th, 2022. So we have that to look forward to. And the second movie news item that came out after the podcast came out was, well, that came out last week, was that Paramount Pictures and the Daily Show host Trevor Noah are teaming up for a remake of The President's Analyst. It was a political comedy that was released back in 1967. So it's a very old movie. Uh, Noah will be producing the movie and is, developed, and is being developed as a potential uh, star vehicle for him. Pat Kanane, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he served for the uh, he served for President Barack Obama uh, for for the six years as his senior writer and deputy of uh, messaging for the White House. Uh, he wrote the script for the movie because uh, after he left the, uh, the White House, he's been he's kind of like a, he's running. A, he wrote a, a biography. He's also been like writing for like TV shows and stuff. He wrote. Um, he actually wrote for the TV series Designated Survivor, the one with Keith Sutherland. So he kind of went from politics to Hollywood, but uh, he uh, wrote the script for the project, and the movie will follow a, uh, well, at least the original movie followed a uh, psychiatrist chosen to act as the president's top secret therapist. And as the president unloads his troubles onto the therapist, uh, the man begins to crack under the strain of all the secrets, becoming paranoid that all the agencies, both foreign and national, want to get uh, you know, want the information that the president has been confiding in him. That, that's what it was. And it, and the remake is said to be uh, a re-examining of the 1967 movie that was, of course, a satire, uh, but told through the lens of contemporary, of the, of the contemporary political landscape, which probably in some ways hasn't changed that much. But um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's what the movie's going to be about. And I like Trevor Noah. Um, I liked when he took over for The Daily Show. It doesn't have the same you know, kick to it as Jon Stewart did, but, um, I, I think he's, he's definitely made the show his own. So, um, for that, I, I applaud him for that. All right. So that's, that's, that was it. So, um, that was, that was the only big two news items that came out after the podcast came out last week. Let's move on to this week. And we're going to talk about some trailers first. First, there was a, uh, Disney released a quick minute long, uh, new teaser for their live action Cruella movie. And the short had a lot of brand new footage in it with the I'm assuming it's probably the introduction of Cruella to the world because the movie, you know, in the movie, it's it's an origin story. Emma Stone's playing Cruella and she's supposed to be like this grifter and wannabe fashion designer who eventually catches the eye of a high end fashion designer played by Emma Thompson. 
and kind of she, you know, Emma Thompson's character kind of takes her under her wing and um, teaches her the ways, you know, the fashion world and everything. And then, of course, Emma, and Emma Stone's character, who's not named Cruella, it looks like she's taking on the persona of Cruella Deville. Uh, so when she pops up in the in the scene in the trailer, which is kind of how the trailer ends almost, it she's riding on the back of a motorcycle that comes in and basically does these donuts to create this smoke. And she comes out of the smoke and she's wearing that iconic hairdo that we all know, the black and white hair. And on her face, the, the, her face makeup says the future. Um, so we can kind of assume kind of how that, that relationship is going to play out. I mentioned when the trailer first came out for Cruella that it surprised me. It, it blew me away. I didn't know what to expect from Cruella. And I was not expecting this kind of Joker-esque, birds of prey kind of vibe to it. And I think a lot of fans are flocking to that because they you know a lot of the time when we hear about these live action disney movies we can kind of expect what the movie is it's very colorful it's very bright it's you know trying it's telling the story that we already know with cruella you know we've we know her from the 101 dalmatians movies you know we don't really get too much of a backstory about her so this is kind of digging into that um kind of on is it unnecessary maybe you know but uh we're, we're getting it and it's very surprising it's still surprising i'm actually looking forward to it uh which i didn't think i would say uh, about this movie but i am so corella will open on may 28th in theaters maybe disney plus we we haven't figured it out yet but you know uh disney's holding out their hope that the movie will be coming out in theaters and that people can come back in theaters so there's that warner brothers released not one but two trailers for their highly anticipated adaptation of the musical in the heights both trailers have different titles one of them is called the washington heights and the other is powerful each focus on of course their different respective songs uh for the most part they pretty much don't have the same shots there's a few same shots in there but if you watch both trailers they both are very different in their own way i'm excited for this anthony ramos stars as uh use navy a bodega owner in new york city uh, in the New York City neighborhood of Washington Heights, who tries to live the American dream. And of course, all these things are kind of coming at him. You know, there's the the Dream Act that plays a very heavy factor in um, the movie. I don't know. I, I never saw the play. So I don't know if that comes from the play or if that just is something they created for the movie. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, of course, created the, the original show, the Broadway show, will appear in the movie. Looks like he's playing... Um, kind of a salesman that goes around he will be in it uh cory hawkins is in it jimmy smith is in it as well uh it's directed by john m chu who's coming off uh, crazy rich asians it looks great it does um it, it it's it's in you know that you know there's there's a scene at in both trailers where it looks like two characters are walking on the side of a building so it's you know it's taking that you know mystical element of a musical you're, you know you're in this world of a musical you just expect that quite you know you're not in the real world. You're in this world of you know people just burst into song and dance. And um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm I wasn't looking that forward to In the Heights, and then I saw these trailers, and they did kind of win me over a little bit. So I am looking forward to it. Uh, so In the Heights will open in theaters and stream on HBO Max on the same day on June 18th. Actually, scratch that. Uh, in the Heights will now come out on June 11th. They just moved it, so June 11th for. A week earlier for all you In the Heights fans. All right, so those were the trailers that came out this week. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the movie news items. We're going to go over to Quickfire. 
Remember, Quickfire is basically where uh, I got some noteworthy news items that I don't have too much to say about them, but I do think they're so noteworthy and we should talk and we should at least note them. Uh, obviously, like this first one uh, Sony Pictures has moved Venom, Let There Be Carnage, from their June release date of this year to September of this year. So, September 17th to be more exact. So, they're not moving it uh, a whole year like a lot of other movies it's a three-month move uh, it's also a move that makes some sense because the movie would be in direct competition with f9 which moved earlier this month to that date of june, of june 25th uh, which was the again the original release date for the movie but uh no longer in the case instead venom will still compete against some big movies it will actually compete against two other sequels the first one is the boss baby family business movie uh which was of course a sequel to the boss baby and the sequel to the murder on the Orient Express, which is called Death on the Nile. Uh, so those two movies are still set for September 17th. There's also a change for another Sony movie, which coincidentally also stars Woody Harrelson, who is in uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, the Kevin Hart's Woody Harrelson movie, uh, The Man from Toronto, which was set for a September 17th date, but has been taken off the release calendar at least for right now. Of course, Andy Serkis will direct uh, Let There Be Carnage. He will bring back, of course, Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, and Reed Scott. Reed Scott was the... Uh, boyfriend of Michelle Williams' character in the movie, uh, The Doctor. And, of course, they will formally introduce Willie Harrelson's uh, Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage. Who also co-starring the movie is Naomi, uh, Naomi Harris and Stephen Graham. Uh, so, another big move. Uh, Sony did... Er- also move their other Sony, uh, other Marvel property uh, of Morbius from uh, this year to next year in January. So there, there's, uh, there's, there's that too. Not, not too much concern. Obviously, studios are still trying to figure out when, when is, when's the best time to release a movie with the pandemic going on and movie theaters opening up and everything like that. So. Moving on, the horror short movie Don't Peak, which recently premiered at the South Expo Southwest Online Film Festival, is currently getting a feature-length movie. Uh, the short was directed by Julian Terry, who did upload it online before the festival, a couple weeks before the festival, actually, uh, where the festival did pick it up and decided to showcase it there. Uh, the short follows a young woman discovering a frightening video game character intent on closing uh intent on coming into the real world uh which by the way uh don't peak is actually uh labeled a animal crossing horror short so if anyone familiar familiar with the animal crossing game this is supposed to be a horror short based on that video game and let's be honest we all want to see a horror movie based on that uh, the movie will be produced and presumably directed, at least the way the reports are putting it, by director Timur. I always mispronounce the last name, so bear with me. Uh, although I'm always mispronouncing last names here on the podcast. Uh, Beck Memetaboff, he directed uh, Wanted, the Angelia Jolie, James McAvoy, Morgan Freeman movie. He also directed Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, which it's... It's fine. It's it's fine. It's not awesome, but it's 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 good. Uh, he's all, he also directed the remake of Ben Hur, which was not good. But he's uh, mainly kind of been sticking to the producing side of things lately. He directed hardcore, uh, produced, I, sh- I should say, uh, produced Hardcore Henry and the Unfriended Horror movies. So he's kind of going back into the horror territory here. Uh, this is actually Terry's, uh, the, Julian Terry's third short that has been picked up. Legendary Pictures picked up the his short, They Hear It, 
And Amblin, the Steven Spielberg production company, picked up uh, Whisper, which is also online if you want to go check that out. Um, that is an Amazon Echo horror short. So there, there, there you go. Uh, Terry also directed an Annabelle creation short film titled The Nurse, which actually won him a contest. So his name has pretty much been out there and he's kind of solidified himself as kind of a horror short um, expert out there. So uh, I will put a link to don't peek if you want to go watch it and then from there you can go on to his channel and check out his other short films that he has on there as well the nurse is on there uh echo or not echo uh whisper is on there uh they hear it is not up on the website so i'm assuming that that was probably like a, a, a an actual film festival release and he hasn't put it up online because of you know whatever's going on but uh yeah there you go uh so that's kind of cool uh i have seen the short i saw it uh, as soon as i heard about the the news and uh, I don't play Animal Crossing, but uh, I kind of <laughs> don't want to now uh, because of that, because I'm afraid something's going to come out from the video game into my world. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, his shorts are very, very good. I did see The Nurse when it first came out because they were doing the whole contest thing. Um when Annabelle Creations going to come, when Annabelle Creations was going to be released. So uh, I did see that. And so it is actually very good. So, um, highly recommend you go check out his shorts and, uh, and that. So, cause we're going to get a feature length film and it seems to be happening a lot lately. Uh, a lot of horror, especially horror, uh, shorts are getting feature length films. And a lot of times they're bringing on the director of those shorts, but it doesn't look like he's going to be, uh, directing that. Maybe he will be involved. Maybe as like a producer or, or a writer or something, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of cool. that They're going to be doing that. Uh, moving on, uh, newcomer Mexican actor uh, Diego Calva has landed a critical role in Damien Chazelle's newest movie, Babylon, which already has Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt set to star. Also joining the cast are rising stars uh, Joven Epido and Lee Jun Lee. Damien Chazelle, of course, the writer-director of La La Land and First Man. He will be directing and writing this as well. It's a drama set in the golden, a golden age of Hollywood in the late 1920s during the industry's transition from silent films to talkies, as they used to call them, and tells the rise and fall of multiple characters throughout the movie. Uh, going back to Calva, uh, he is a Mexican, um, his role will be of that of a Mexican man making his way up the Hollywood ladder, starting out as a as an assistant. Uh, so he reportedly beat out two established names, despite only a handful of credits to his name in projects from Mexico and South America. But apparently some chemistry tests with Margot Robbie uh, sealed the deal for him. Uh, Pitt and Robbie will play uh, stars trying to adjust to the change as well. So there is that. Uh, I'm sure uh, it seems like they're going to be based off certain characters. Not entirely, because originally Robbie was going to be playing a character similar to or full blown out uh clara bow who was a very early sex symbol in hollywood and it was actually a box office star and she was kind of classified as the first it girl in hollywood back in the day but they reworked it to make her a more original character so i'm pretty sure there's going to be some instances of, of real life bleeding into it but um but yeah there you go uh babylon will have a limited release on december 25th of next year and we'll get a wide release of january 6th in 2023 an adaptation of Jason Turan's novel God as a Bullet is going to get a feature film adaptation that will be written and directed by Nick Cassavetes, the director of The Notebook and John Q. Plus, a cast is already set for the movie as well. The film will follow a vice detective, Bob Hightower, played by Nikolai 
Coster Waldu, uh, aka Jamie, Nall- Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, who finds his ex-wife murdered and daughter kidnapped by a satanic cult. Frustrated by the botched official official investigations, he quits the force, gets tattoos, and infiltrates the cult to, to hunt down the cult leader with the help of the cult's only female victim escapee, Case Harden, played by Minka Monroe from It Follows. She was also in... Um, the very terrible Independence Day sequel, uh, but she's, she's been she's also been in a bunch of other stuff. But I mainly know her from It Follows, for some reason. Uh, I've seen her in other stuff too, but the only reason that, the only thing that comes to my mind right now is It Follows. Anyway, other cast members include January Jones, Andrew Dice Clay, and Jamie Fox. Fox will play a pivotal supporting role of the Ferryman, whatever that entails. I have not read the book. Uh, no word yet on who Jones or Clay will play just yet. Pre-production has already started in Mexico City with production uh, due to start at the end of May of this year. Universal has finally given a release date uh, and title for the Puss in Boots sequel. The title will be Puss in Boots The Last Wish and will come out in September 23rd of next year. The sequel will bring back Antonio Menderes as the voice of Puss in Boots as he journeys after the mythical Last Wish, the only thing that could restore the eight lives he's already lost. Apparently, the reason uh, for the wait is due to many changes during production. One of them, a massive one, is that uh, a director, uh, the directing change. Uh, for a while, it was going to be directed by Bob Perschietti. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he was a director of um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So there was that. But the movie will now be directed by Joel Crawford and produced by Mark Swift. The two of them uh, were responsible for The Crudes, A New Age, which was very entertaining. Um, it, it, at least for me, <laughs> I know for a few others. So there you go. The movie was announced a while back and, um, which is the reason why it's, why I said that earlier. Uh, it looks like it's finally happening. I was a very big fan of Puss in Boots, the, the, the first movie. Uh, I know that the character has lived on through, um, uh, like a TV series. I think there was a Netflix TV series at one point or a Netflix movie, but, um, but he's going to be living on through another movie. Uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, like I mentioned, I like the first movie and I like the character. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, why not? Let's, let's do it. All right. Uh, so that is the last bit of quick fire. That was actually the last quick fire movie news item. All right. So let's move on, uh, to the big movie news items of the week. All right, so the first big movie news item of the week we're going to talk about is that Blumhouse Productions and Epix have a new partnership. It was announced this week with a statement that reads like this. Premium network Epix and Blumhouse today announced a new partnership in which Jason Blum's television company will develop and produce eight elevated standalone horror genre thriller movies exclusive for the network. Blumhouse, or Jason Jason Blum, I should say, will serve as an executive producer. Uh, They also say that the first movie is ready, or or at least not ready to go because they haven't started filming yet. Starts filming uh, relatively soon and aims to have a release date for December 20, uh, 2021. So this year, uh, the first movie is A House on the Bayou. The movie follows a troubled couple and their preteen daughter who go on a vacation to an isolated house in Louisiana in the Louisiana Bayou to reconnect as a family. But when unexpected visitors arrive, the fracade of a family unity starts to unravel as terrifying secrets come to light. The rest of the movies from this deal will be coming out in 2022. 
Blumhouse is, of course, growing their ever-growing their horror genre thriller brand with other services. They have a newly launched Welcome to Blumhouse series up on Amazon's Prime Video and the Into the Darkness anthology series for Hulu. So Blumhouse is on top of their game, uh, not just uh, for movie productions and movie releases, feature-length movie, movie uh, movies coming out from Universal and stuff, but they also have their uh, streaming services and, uh, you know on, on lock, too. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Epic's... It looks like maybe Epix is going to become somewhat of a, you know, kind of a upper grabs streaming service or at least cable network. Uh, they released St. Maud earlier this year. It wasn't Blumhouse. It actually came from A24, but um, I think uh, the St. Maud uh, did bring up Epix a little bit in terms of, oh, okay, this can be a place where we can release movies and stuff like that. So this is pretty cool. I think Epix also has a deal uh, with someone else. I, I want to say I remember reading something like that, but I just forgot to look it up. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's actually pretty cool. So uh, I have not seen the Welcome to Blumhouse movies yet. I heard some mixed things about it. I know the Into the Darkness movies on Hulu um, do get a lot of love uh, for what they are. So I'm definitely going to check those out as well. Kind of been on the, just on the teeter end of it, because that was the first thing they did. That was their Hulu series into the darkness was kind of the first thing that they've been, um, they kind of toyed around with, um, TV wise. Uh, of course they, you know, they did the, 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 the purge, the, the purge TV series and stuff like that. But I think that was the first thing that they really played around with. And now, you know, the welcome to Blumhouse stuff, which again, got pretty decent reviews and um, mixed reviews at best, but decent reviews overall. So I'm looking forward to this. I, I think it'll be pretty cool to kind of see what uh, Blumhouse can do with uh, with Epics. So let's move on to the next movie news item. And, and it was actually last year when it was announced that Fetty, and we talked about this, I think, earlier in the year, or, or maybe it was last year. Uh, but last year was announced that Fetty Alvarez, the director of Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead remake, was producing a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And it was going to be directed by David Blue Garcia, who directed a movie called Tijuana. I don't know where you can stream it, but I know it's out. So if you want to go check that out. Uh, this week, speaking with Bloody Disgusting's The Boo Crew podcast, Alvarez confirmed that the movie is not another remake, but is actually a sequel to the original movie and is set many years after the events of the first film with a, quote, old man Leatherface. Whatever you want to implication, you want to talk about that. Uh, Alvarez did note that the movie is taking the old school approach with the gore, saying, quote, everything is classic old school gags. A lot of the approach that we had for Evil Dead, never VFX, which of course visual effects, uh, to do anything on and to do everything on camera. It's very old school approach to filmmaking, vintage lenses. It's very similar to the original movie. Uh, the cast of the movie because they did film this movie already. Uh, the cast of the movie includes uh, Elsie Fisher from 8th Grade and Hulu's Castle Rock, uh, Sarah Larkin from Happy Death Day to You, Jacob Lattimore from The Maze Runner. He also did a movie called Slight, which, uh, speaking of Blumhouse, that was a Blumhouse movie. Uh, came out very limited, very limited theater runs, but uh, if you get a chance to go check out that movie, I highly recommend you do. He was also in the TV series The Shy, and Alice Krieg from Star Wars First Contact, aka The Boar Queen, uh, and also Silent Hill. She usually plays a villain, so that's probably, I don't know if that means anything, but she usually plays a villain. Uh, and of course, a few other more, but those are the kind of big noteworthy names on there. Like I mentioned, the movie has been filmed. They filmed it last year. It doesn't have a release date just yet, but a lot of movie news outlets are saying that the movie can come out uh, sometime, potentially come out sometime later this year, maybe even around October, or if they want to drop it in the summer, who knows. But the movie is filmed. To, to say the least, the movie is filmed, it's done, and hearing that this it's a 
full it's taking kind of the halloween approach where it's a sequel that takes place after the original movie is interesting uh i know there was already a movie i think it was leatherface uh leatherface 3d or one of them uh that also took the same approach where it was set after the events of the original and um but and that itself was a a full-blown sequel to the original but ignoring all the other sequels that happened but i don't know uh who knows what they're gonna do with this but um I'm interested in seeing what they do. I'll admit I have not seen Another Face. Uh, I've only really seen the original first three Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre movies. Uh, I haven't seen any of the new stuff that's come. I, although I did see the the remake, I should say, uh, the remake, the one directed by uh, Marcus Nespel, uh, the one with Jessica Jessica Biel. I almost said Jessica Alba. Jessica Biel. I did watch that one. Uh, I'll admit I did watch that one. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it should be interesting to see what they're going to do with this one. You know, I don't know anything about uh, the direct, the new director. Uh, he's an up and coming guy uh, from the looks of it because uh, he only has really one movie. He has one movie and a short. Uh, so I guess Alvarez kind of saw him and he was like, man, this guy seems pretty good. So they gave him the job. So And the writer for the movie is also relatively unknown. He hasn't really directed or not, not directed. He hasn't written, written anything uh, either. I think he has one thing in production that uh, that some studios are holding off on, I guess. But um, but yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about this? I remember watching the the original one. I think I didn't see the original one until I was in high school, and but I had heard about it and I never saw it though. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it until I was in high school, and I rem, I remember the conversation around it, and it still boggles me to this day that everyone has this distinct memory of this movie being the most bloody movie in the world. It is the most grotesque movie in the world. There isn't hardly any blood in, the, in that original. If you watch the original movie again. Or if you haven't seen it in a while and you're like, oh, man, I remember this happening. It's like, no, no, you don't, because it's not really a gore movie. And I think that, you know, those comments may make some people worry that they're just going to turn this into a gore fest. Like all the sequel, like all the these new uh, these newer age sequels and, and remakes have been doing. But um, at least relating to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But um, I don't know. Uh, I, I trust Fetty Alvarez. I really liked what he did with the Evil Dead remake. I know a lot of people are very split on that, but I actually do like the Evil Dead remake. Uh, I really liked what he did with Don't Breathe, uh, which was was just uh, which was interesting. I can't talk, which was interesting and intriguing. I'll be a little biased because I saw the movie at a film festival before it came out, and Stephen Lang was there, so that may have you know affected me some way. But I still think it's a it's a relatively good movie uh, as well. So I think Fetty Alvarez has a has a real eye for it. Uh, he's producing the movie, but I don't know. I, I think I would be more excited if he was directing rather than producing. Maybe that's just me, but we'll see. All right, moving on. Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World and the upcoming Jurassic World Dominion, is set to direct an adaptation of David Fisher's novel War Magician. And Benedict Cumberbatch will lead the movie, which is also based on a true story of a British illusionist named Jasper. I'm going to mispronounce the last name. Named Jasper Masculine. I think that's how you pronounce the last name, uh, who used magic, yes, magic, to defeat Erwin Rommel in World War II. Deadline, which broke the news, reported that Trevorrow's take on the material will focus on an, quote, international magic gang from Africa, Europe, and the Middle East who cons- who conspired with masculine and the female and, and a female military intelligence officer to defeat the Nazis. Who doesn't want to see that? Who doesn't want to see magic defeat Nazis? I know I do. Uh, Anyway, the real-life masculine um, claimed he 
did all these elaborate ruses and illusions and camouflage to deceive and help defeat the Nazis. But many of his claims, of course, were disputed and his reputation was somewhat tarnished after that. Still, seeing Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm assuming he's probably playing um, uh, Masklin, the, the, the real life man. So seeing him just... And Trevorrow, you know, obviously, um, he started off as kind of an indie guy with safety not guaranteed. That won him the the job of uh, Jurassic World. He took Jurassic World 2 because he was doing book, the Book of Henry, which was not very well received and admittedly not that great of a movie. And then he came back for Jurassic World Dominion. I'm interested. You know, I, I want to see... You know, this, even if, you know, a lot of these claims were disputed and maybe, you know, you have an idea on your head when you, you know, when you hear a, a, a magic gang went and defeated, obviously they didn't defeat the whole Nazi army and empire, but, you know, they probably defeated some, you know, these small little, you know, armies and ranks every here and there. Uh, you have an idea in your head of what that looks like and what maybe that is. And I have an idea in my head and... I'm looking forward to that. I'm not gonna lie. And then you got Benedict Cumberbatch, and of course, it will all be interesting to see how you know who uh, who they bring together for this. That's what I'm looking forward toward. All right, let's get to the final movie news item of the week, at least at the time of this recording. That is, of course, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Oscar nominations. The 93rd Academy Award nominations came out this week, and obviously this year's awards will be very different from other years. So let's get to the nominees. I won't read them all. I'm just Putting that out there, I won't read them all now. I do usually do a Oscar predictions podcast before the show, uh, so I'm just gonna highlight the big ones here, like pretty much all the support, like all the actors and stuff. And I will read all of the nominations um, again on the Oscar predictions podcast that I do that week, obviously before the uh, before the Oscars. So, best supporting actress nominees are Maria Bakalova from the Bow Rat movie, Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for a role in The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yung Jong Young from Yung Jong Young from uh, Minari. Best supporting actor is Sasha Baron Cohen for Child's Trial, Other Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield both got nominated for the roles in Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami and Paul Racy for Sound of Metal. Best actress we have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrea Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for No Man Land, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Best Actor is Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. Best Director is Thomas Vandenberg for Another Round, David Finchner for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, uh, Zo- uh, Chloe Zhao for No Man Land, and Emerald Finley. Uh, I think I pronounced her last name, uh, for a promising young woman. Best picture is The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, No Man Land, Promising promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, So those are all the nominees for those big categories. Like every year, there are snubs and surprises, uh, so might as well just get those out of the way too. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One One Night in Miami were not nominated for Best Picture, as some predicted. Regina King, who directed... One Night in Miami, in her directorial debut, was kind of maybe thought of 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 uh, you know being nominated for best director. So it was Aaron Sorkin for his work in the trial, or the trial of Chicago Seven. But instead, uh, it went to Wittenberg, who directed the Danish film Another Round, uh, which was nominated for best international film as well. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of surprising there. Uh, Kaluuya and Stanfield obviously are kind of the 
the big one here. Uh, both were nominated for Best Supporting Actor category, which seems odd since Kaluuya has been nominated for Best Actor in every other show, um, <laughs> in every other award show. Um, maybe they thought he had a better chance of winning Best Supporting Actor instead of Best Actor. Uh, there's also the fact that maybe the studio, when they put in the four-year consideration, decided to put him in Best Supporting Actor instead, uh, which seems kind of mean to Lakeith Stanfield because that means he probably won't win, but, you know, I, I guess they, they just thought Kalu had a better chance of, uh, of winning for um, for Best Supporting Actor, which he probably, honestly, admittedly, probably will. Uh, probably one of the big ones, at least amongst film fans, is Delroy Lindo not getting a nomination for his performance in The Five Bloods. In fact, there was not a lo- lot of love for uh, in uh, the movie for uh, The Five Bloods. The Spike Lee movie only got one nomination, and that was for Best Original Score, where it will do battle against uh, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Pixar's Soul. Uh, it does sound, at least from what I've read, that it, Netflix was pushing for Lindo for a nomination, but if I read it right, it looked like they were pushing him for Best Actor instead of Supporting Actor, which may have played a factor in what was going on. Either way, Lindo did not get nominated, which is kind of a shame because I thought he was very good in The Five Bloods. He has a very, very, very big standout scene that easily could, easily alone was oscar worthy for a nomination anyway whatever uh some tidbits for you guys uh, i always like i always like these i don't know why i just i just do uh david finchner's mink got the most nominations with 10 amazon's sound of metal and a24's minari received seven nominations and all the other big movies like no man land juice and black messiah promising a Promising Young Woman and The Trial of Chicago 7 all earned six nominations. For the first time in history, there are two female directors nominated in Best uh, Director. Chloe Zhao is also the first non-white woman to be nominated. She might also be the first non-white woman to be to uh, to win the Oscar nomination. Uh, there's also uh, there's only ever been five women nominated for Best Director, uh, n- never in the same year. Uh, but there's only, there's only been five. They are uh, Lena Whitmiller for uh, 1997 for The Seven Beauties, Jane Champion in 1994 for The Piano, Sofia Coppola in 2003 for Lost in Translation, Catherine Bigelow in 2010 for The Hurt Locker, which she won, and she's the only woman to win Best Director. As a, Yeah, she's the only woman to win Best Director. Uh, and um, Gerda Gerwig in 2018 for Lady Bird. So this year... Some some history making, history making all around, especially in the best director category with Chloe Zhao and um, and uh, Emerald uh, Finley. So, congratulations to them. Zhao, I, well, I'm still on this. Uh, Zhao is also the first woman to be nominated four times in a single year. She was also nominated for best editing and best adapted screenplay. She, again, she's nominated for best director and best picture. Usually, with best pictures um, nominations, it's only the producers that get that you know that kind of get the nomination and get the credit for it. Chloe Zhao is producer on No Man Land, so she has four nominations in one year, which is very very cool. Also, this year, uh, seventy women received seventy six nominations this year, two of which uh, are Mia Young and Jamika Wilson, who became the first. Um, two black women to be nominated for an Oscar in makeup and hairstyling, which is really, really cool. And I, I always find this interesting, but I found this more interesting uh, of anything. Um, this is the only year where one film nominated for Best Picture is from a major movie studio, and that's Judas and the Black Messiah, which comes from Warner Brothers. All the other nominees 
are from I want to say smaller studios, but they're not you know again major big studios like Warner Brothers, or Disney, or Paramount or anything like that. So all the other studio, uh, all the other movies nominated for Best Picture come from studios like uh, Amazon, Netflix, A twenty four, Focus Features, Searchlight Pictures, and Sony Classics, which is interesting. Uh, speaking of which, Netflix got thirty five nominations, which is not the record that belongs to United Artists, which got forty five, which is amazing, uh, in nineteen forty one. So it's been a very long time since that record's been broken. But there you go. Uh, Apple has joined the fray, in getting nominations for their animated feature Wolf Walkers and Best Editing for Greyhound, uh, which is really cool. So there's that. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross got two nominations this year for their scores. One is Mank, and the other one is Pixar's Soul. So they're probably definitely going to win at least... Um, they're definitely going to win at least for one of those. Uh, speaking of Soul, director Pete Docker earned his fourth nomination, which is a record for the category. Docker has won it twice for Up in 2009 and Inside Out in 2015. It's also been nominated a total of nine times. The others were for writing. Uh, they were all for Toy Story, Wally, Up, and Inside Out. Moving on to the Best Actor category, uh, Riz Ahmed and Steven Yeun both received their first nominations uh, in the Best in the Best Actor category. Ahmed is also the fourth Muslim actor to get nominated, and Yoon is the first Asian American to get nominated in that category, which is always really cool. Other first time nominees include Andrea Day, Vanessa Kirby, Daniel Kaluuya, Maria Bakalova, and Young Jun Young. Uh, Gun Close got her eighth nomination. She has never won one, but uh, she got her eighth nomination this year. Christina Oh, the producer of Minari, is also the first Asian-American woman to receive nominations for Best Picture, while director Lee Isaac Chung is the second Asian-American, after M. Night Shyamalan, to be nominated for Best Director. Judas and the Black Messiah is the first all-black-produced film to, to receive a nomination. Uh, Viola Davis is now the most nominated black actress in Oscar history, with her fourth nomination, and is, only, uh, and is the only one with two leading acting knots so that's pretty cool uh i'm sure there's other tidbits in there that i've missed but uh, those are the quick ones that i was able to find uh the 93rd oscars will air live on abc on april 25th and we will talk about those uh, on all the nominations uh once we get closer to the oscar show uh next month so those are all your nominees or those are your short nominees anyway and some tidbits and snubs and stuff so let us move on to the final part of this podcast, uh, which I wasn't originally going to do, but I decided to do it because I watched it. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to get a chance to watch it, but I did. And that is Zack Snyder's Justice League. He said the age of heroes would never come again. Fighting the devil in his army. You know, I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us united. All right, so before I start with my thoughts on the movie, I just want to quickly say a few things. One, and up front, <laughs> if you've heard the podcast, you, you probably have known uh, known about this, but I am not, I, or I was not the biggest fan of the whole release the Snyder Cut movement. Not because I don't like Zack Snyder. Uh, it's just that we have been so far removed from Justice League that I thought it really didn't matter anymore. And while... Yes, I did uh, think that he probably got the short end of the stick when he left the project because, you know, uh, for sad, unfortunate reasons that uh, his daughter passed. It was really more of how the movement of release the Snyder Cut got to me and got to be as all because the whole thing, especially at the beginning, was just way too forced. And I know many 
I know a lot of people called it like a cult following or cult like. And I always found it funny because no one, I, I do not remember everyone was really a big fan of Snyder like that. Because it, it felt like when the release the Snyder Cut movement started, all of these like secret Zack Snyder fans just broke free from wherever they were and went online and started this whole movement. And I really don't remember that many people liking Zack Snyder before all this, uh, which was really odd and weird to me, which is, whole, which is probably another reason why I was not a big fan of the whole release of Snyder Cut movement, which leads me to Zack Snyder himself. I like Man of Steel. I did. I, I still, to this day, like Man of Steel. And Batman v Superman, uh, not that much. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know I'm not alone in this when it comes to Zack Snyder. He is a great visual storyteller visually he's great but when it comes to story and plot not so much uh sometimes you get a great looking movie with a decent story like man of steel and then you get a movie like sucker punch which was not very good again visually great to look at when the action scenes are going on he's a great action director too but when it comes to story and everything again not not so much all that said i am glad that Snyder finally gets to put his vision, albeit it's only one part of his vision for this world, because this was supposed to be a setup for Justice League sequels two and three, which obviously won't happen anymore, at least not Snyder's version of Justice League two and three. So let's just get to my thoughts, uh, my quick thoughts uh, on what's going on. By the way, I am going to spoil some stuff in this. I probably should have put that at the beginning, but I am going to spoil some stuff in this. So if you don't want to get spoiled, if you haven't watched it yet, probably don't listen to this. Spoilers. Uh, quick thoughts. Again, spoilers. I'm going to start off with the pros because I don't want to just feel like I'm bashing on the thing. Uh, I'm going to start off with the pros. Ray Fisher's Cyborg. Uh, Snyder mentioned that he was going when he was directing, when he was still directing before he even directed the movie, that Cyborg was going to be an emotional core of the movie, the emotional core of the movie. And we see that it's true. He plays a very large role in this movie, and you can make the argument that he's kind of the second lead in the movie next to Ben Affleck's Batman, maybe even the first lead. I'm not going to go into the whole Fisher behind the scenes stuff with Joss Whedon because that could just be a whole separate podcast uh, thing. And then it gets, you know, a little murky with he said, he said, and, you know, um, everything that's going on right now. And Fisher, of course, has been very vocal about Warner Brothers and Joss Whedon and and everything else surrounding this but he did when you look at that and then you look at the when you look at this movie and then you look at the version that we got that was of course directed by whedon uh yes cyborg got the very very short end of the stick um because he is everywhere in this movie really so there is that uh snyder's r rating is is here because you know I think when you look at Zack Snyder, you're pretty much known for his R-rated work. You know him from 300, you know him from the Dawn of the Dead remake. Sucker Punch had some R-rated moments in, in there as well. But with no fear of the MPAA on this, there was blood everywhere in this movie. Unexpected blood, too. Like, when Wonder Woman's taking out the, the guards in, in the beginning of the movie, uh, you know, she's flinging them against the walls, and there's blood splatter all over the walls. There's people getting decapitated and people being chopped in two, and there's blood everywhere. Uh, so it's it's nice to see Snyder kind of let loose a little bit for for this art rating. 
Um, the Russian family town arc is gone. I mean, the third act is still pretty much there. It still takes place in this, you know, like Russian village. Um, but that whole third act is different for the most part. The backbone is still there. It's still the Justice League facing off against Stephen Wolf and his parademons in the town. But it's, you know, gone is the the very bright orange sky and it's in it's taking place at night you know the justice league doesn't have to worry about saving civilians it's just them facing stefan wolf and stefan wolf and, and his pair of demons um nice little easter egg which i thought was interesting again it's not gonna go anywhere because you know warner brothers always said it's not gonna go anywhere ray Choi, aka the atom is in here uh well a pre-atom he's not the atom yet uh which i thought was very interesting i, I don't I thought that was kind of cool. It was a nice little, nice little touch. Expanding the world, which, again, <laughs> not going to get expanded anymore. Uh, so those are the, 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 the very big cons that I can, or the very big pros that I can see that, that I felt right away, um, right off the bat. Uh, so let's move on to the cons. Obviously, you know, my thoughts are probably going to change, you know, as stuff stuff still processes and I'm still thinking about the whole thing. Uh, but here are the cons. It's too long. It, I'm sorry. It's still too long. I am the last person who wants to complain about a movie being too long because sometimes movies could use an extra 10 minutes to, you know, flesh stuff out. And some movies can be 10 minutes shorter. Not this movie. This movie is four hours long. The fact that they gutted down two hours of this movie so it can be two hours at, for a theater cut is amazing and mind-boggling to me. Uh, a lot of that, of course, was the cyborg stuff. But this movie's still too long. I'm sorry. It, it is. It is. It is. It is basically an assembly cut. But it's still too long. Another reason why this movie's probably still too long is there's too much slow mo in this movie. Why is there so much slow mo at the in the first half of this movie? And it's not just the flash scenes. It's other scenes that don't need slow mo. I'm a fan of uh, uh, of good slow mo as much as the next guy. I am. But there are scenes in this movie that don't need slow mo. Why is there so much slow mo in this movie? Seriously. If you cut the slow-mo down, this movie, I mean, it still would have, you know, been three hours plus, but there's a lot of slow-mo in this movie. I don't know why there's so much slow-mo. Anyway, whatever. You can call that nitpicky. Uh, I, I, it's, no, there's no, there's no need for all that slow-mo. Anyway, moving on. Um, the infamous nightmare sequence uh, that was much talked about. We know that this was one of, if not the main thing that Snyder went back and shot during those uh, additional re- reshoots and additional photography that they were doing. And honestly, as much as the nightmare sequence, alternate reality stuff, whatever you want to call it, looks cool and could be cool in a movie as, as, as a movie itself, or at least a large chunk of a movie, it felt like an afterthought here. It, it really felt like it was just tacked on. It, it felt like an afterthought. It really felt like it was just tacked on at the end. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of that scene, so I just, I don't know. I don't know. And then the scene itself, it leads to the reveal, at least the second reveal of the Martian Manhunter. And I don't know, I don't know, it kind of felt out of place. And I've been seeing some people, you know, talking about the, the nightmare sequence. Uh, and, it, and you know, they kind of share, it just kind of feels tacked on at the end. I, I don't know. I just, I mean, again, I, I would love to see more of it, but it just felt like, okay, they added this stuff. I don't know if maybe it was just the, the placement of the scene. I don't know, it just, it just, I don't know, it just felt out of place with everything else that was happening and going on. But just to go back a little bit to the actual Nightmare scene, not just talking about the Martian Manhunter scene, we finally see Jared Leto's Joker interact with Ben Affleck's Batman, which is cool because I know a lot of fans wanted to see the two together. I know, I think part of me even felt like wanted to see those two together, and it was fine. 
uh, again, the whole scene is just, it kind of felt out of place for me. I don't know. Um, maybe it was because it was just after so much that was going on already. And there's, and, okay, this might be nitpicky. I, I will admit that. I, I, will, I will give you this, guys, this one. Artistically or not, why is the movie out of focus? <laughs> why was there, why was there like a good 10 seconds of the movie being out of focus when the Joker was talking? Why? It bothered me. It really did. I don't know why it bothered me as much as it did. I was like, why is this movie out of focus? Why? It, yeah, I don't know. That, 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 I will give you that being nitpicky. I, I will give you that one. But that's just that. All right, whatever. Artistic or not, put your movie in damn focus, please. Uh, okay, moving on. Moving, moving on from, from that, all that. Uh, the lowest scenes. Uh, I know even in, in the Justice League that we saw, Lois always felt kind of, uh, her scenes were kind of just there. I don't think a lot of people were big fans of Amy Adams. I mean, people fans are Amy Adams, but I think even in the Justice League, especially from what I can remember of that movie, her scenes were just kind of there. And that is even more, more dominant here in this one because they seem out of place or not important for a four hour movie. She literally disappears for a long time in this movie. I want to say like maybe like, I don't want to say maybe like an hour or 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something close to that. And when she comes back, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. She's in this movie. She literally disappears in the movie and it it doesn't need it. She did, it's almost like she doesn't even need to be in the movie, really. And I don't understand why the Lois Martha scene, why it played out the way it did. It, why couldn't it have just been Martha instead of talking to her, instead of Martian Manhunter posing as Martha? Because in hindsight, wouldn't you think that Lois would bring up the fact that she had that conversation with her? Again, hindsight. That's, nitpicky, maybe. Moving on. Because you could have just saved the Martian Manhunter. Because we already knew that Martian Manhunter, if that was supposed to be in the original movie, then okay. I think that's one of, one of the original scenes that was supposed to be in the original movie. Then that's okay. Fine. Have that be the only Martian Manhunter scene that was in it. But it kind of takes away the surprise and the specialness of seeing Martian Manhunter at the end of the movie when we know he's already in it. But I don't know. All right. Maybe that's just me. Um, moving on to... I'm still processing some stuff as well, of course. And some of the stuff I'm still processing is the CG. Uh, most of the new budget pretty much went into the CG. I think we all kind of know that. Um, and for the most part, it does look pretty good and polished. The new Steppenwolf design is better than from the past design that we got. The character does feel a little bit more like an actual character. We actually kind of know a little bit more what drives Stefan Wolf besides, you know, getting the mother boxes together uh, and creating the the unity. Cause you know, he originally was kind of just this one note character. He kind of just showed up and was like, Hey, I'm the bad guy. That's it. That's all you need to know about me here. We get to know why he's doing what he's doing. And uh, I don't know if, if it completely, makes makes up for the fact that he was kind of a nothing character but at least we know more about him and i, I you know and, and a lot of that stuff also leads into dark side who we finally see and i know a lot of people were like finally we're getting dark side and the dark side design is is okay you know i think i'm still used i'm so used to the cartoon version of dark side which of course is you know obviously based off his comic book version um, because the, car especially the cartoon version for me, because that was my first introduction to dark side overall. Um, the design is pretty different and it's a welcome one. And yeah, it was supposed to introduce him again, knowing we're not going to see him again in any movie, or at least this version of dark side that we saw. It's like, Oh cool. We finally can see dark side on the big screen in a movie. And it's like, Oh, that's right. He's, it, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> that said the new CG in some places, it's still a little wonky. When 
uh, Stephen Wolf is talking to Desaad, you know, through the, you know, that, that brick that he had, that whatever that was, that monolith, if you, if you will, um, when they're talking to each other, it just, I don't know, the CG kind of seems a little wonky for, for me personally, uh, the Martian Manhunter design probably could have used a little bit more touching up a little bit more work. The design is, is, is cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously he looks like Martian Manhunter, uh, but again, time constraints probably could have, um, probably held that back a little bit, I mean, even a little more fine tuning, but for me, um, me knowing nothing about how to make CGI characters, but, um, but anyway, uh, all that, all that said, it, it leads to the main thing, the important thing, the ultimate thing, which I know everyone, I know, I know I can hear everyone already telling me, get over it, enjoy the movie. We finally got it. But at the end of the day, none of this matters. <laughs> none of it. Warner Brothers has made it known they are moving away from Snyder's original vision of the DCEU and his Justice League. So really the whole setup of Darkseid coming to Earth to find the anti-life equation, which has always been on Earth, apparently. Did he not know that when he first came to Earth? Because the new version of the original invasion, when the armies got together, the Atlanteans, the humans, the the one Green Lantern... <laughs> um, and um the amazons that scene was reworked to have dark side be the one invading not stefan wolf it was always dark side in the version that we got you know four years ago it was stefan wolf and his people and his parademons uh which no longer smell fear in this version parademons just smell that the mother box has been around people um so that kind of changes obviously the, the third act of uh, or the final act in the movie but um it's Darkseid that comes to Earth. He was already here. Did he not? Was he just so focused on conquering Earth that he didn't realize that the thing he's been looking for for, you know, X amount of years has been on Earth the whole time? Again, hindsight. Nitpicky, if you will. Anyway, uh, none of it matters. Plus, the Martian Manhunter scene with Bruce is pointless, really. Story-wise, anyway, it's pointless because it gives fans hope that we're finally going to get Martian Manhunter in a movie. It gives fans hope that, okay, this is a future that's going to be really cool. But again, it's not going to happen because Warner Brothers is not continuing with Snyder's vision. And they've already said, well, Snyder himself said that Warner Brothers told him that his version is not canon. So, you know, there is that. It's just, you know, it, it's at the end of the day, really, when you think about it, it's just another director's cut special that will ultimately mean, ultimately mean nothing and have no bearing on what happens to the future upcoming dcu movies like the flash because the flash apparently has a different story shazam uh the shazam sequel uh black adam the suicide squad and everything else that they're working on afterwards uh sure maybe warner brothers could rework the flash again which will probably delay it again with some of the stuff that can be worked in from snyder's from from the snyder cut i doubt it you know the hashtag movement worked this time but will it work again uh, i don't know probably very doubtful to be honest that said though I, I i am i am happy and it's great for fans who wanted to see this that are finally seeing it we get to see snyder's original what he originally intended his original vision and stuff that he had shot for the most part because obviously there's a lot of stuff that snyder still wanted to do like i mentioned he this is supposed to be a setup for his justice league 2 and his justice league 3 which won't happen anymore but um there is that overall i i guess i would recommend the movie to you guys i mean it's four hours long anytime you recommend a long movie people be like why is it so long when you recommend any you can recommend an hour and a half movie people are like ah that's too long 
like those memes out there. It's like a uh, two and a half hour movie, uh, 10 hour TV series. Okay. Like, I don't know. Again, I, I, I guess I would recommend it. It's a different movie than the movie we saw four years ago. It's a very different movie. I mean, structurally, it's still kind of the same, but there's a lot of differences that make this a whole new experience, a whole, a whole new viewing experience. It's still too damn long. It really is. It's, it's, it's four hours long. I mean, if you want to break, I mean, I took a break about halfway through the movie. I think I posted a picture online uh, where I watched like two and a half hours of the movie and there was still two and a half hours left. So, or something along those lines. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's one of those things you have to power through and watch. Is it entertaining? Yeah, for the most part it is. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, and continually bash the movie and continually bring in the facts, you know, and just, you know, uh, yes, it is enjoyable. It is a different movie. It is fun to watch for, you know, for what it is. But that part of me still can't get past the fact that none of it matters anymore. You won't see any of this really play into the future of the DC movies. Is it cool to watch? Is it is it is it a new experience? Is it a different experience that we usually get? Yes, it is. Is it groundbreaking? Yes. There is no there, there is no you know, doubt about it. You know, you can you can be a hater all you want, but you still have to admit that this is a newfound. I don't want to say experience, but just a newfound. Uh, I can't. I can't even think of the word anymore. Um, I just lost it. And I know some of you guys are probably screaming at me that this is the word I'm thinking about, but I can't. It's it's just it's it's something we haven't seen before. It's unprecedented. You know, for for a studio to cave in and give a director back complete and total control to release a movie to a big franchise like this and be like yeah go ahead do what you wanted to do it's not gonna matter but you can go ahead and do it because we know fans want it like i said the hashtag worked the movement worked will it work a second time i don't think so that and that's just my opinion if it does work then great awesome but i don't think it will work again i don't so that's just me i'm not i'm not trying to be a hater i'm just trying to be realistic and knowing everything that's happening and Snyder himself saying that Warner Brothers will not cave in and will not go back and, and restore his version of, of everything going on. Whether he deserved it or not, is it, that's something that you know we'll, I know everyone will be arguing about and stuff like that. So there you go. That's Those are my thoughts. And would I recommend it? Yes, I would. Um, you know, again, I'm not a hater. I did enjoy it for what it was. It's still... You know, I really do think that, again, probably being nitpicky, it's the nightmare sequence being out of place, the fact that it's too long, the fact that the lowest scenes still just kind of seem, just kind of are just there. It is a much darker version. It is Snyder's version. It's not, you know, poppy. There's not a lot of quippy jokes that we obviously put into the movie. Is it a brand new thing? Yes. Is it, is it, is it Zack Snyder's Justice League? Yes. That title lives up to the name. This is Zack Snyder's Justice League. And... If you were a fan of that, if you were a fan of the movement, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. If you're like me, who was on the offset, who was going to give the movie a chance no matter what. I, I don't. I want to make that perfectly clear. I was going to give the movie a chance no matter what. Will you enjoy it? Probably. For the most part, yes. The action scenes are pretty pretty great. Everything else in between, the, the emotional core of uh, Cyborg being the emotional core of the movie was great. His scenes were awesome. They were, they were, they were very good. Uh, Ray Fisher got, finally got his you know chance to shine in a movie that he was very looking forward toward. And got the short end of the stick. And with Joss Whedon, I'll just put it like that, for lack of a better phrase. Um, or you got screwed over. Let's just, just, just be honest, you got screwed over. But yeah, I, yeah, I would recommend it, I guess. Just prepare yourself that you're watching a four-hour movie. <laughs> and that's it, everybody. That is all the movie news that I have for you guys this week. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast this week. 
I very much appreciate it. Um, I don't know how long this is going to be, but uh, I very much appreciate you guys sticking around if you sticking around until right now. Uh, so, yes, thank you guys so much for joining me, joining me on the podcast this week. Make sure to check us out on all of our platforms. That is YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also go check out our social media pages. Uh, links will be down below uh, for all of that. And, yeah, thank you guys so much. Now, before I leave, obviously, there's you know there was a big tragedy this week, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that it is horrible what is happening to the Asian community. It's gotten worse. It, I, there's just – there's – no articulate way that I can put it. Um, it it's horrible. It, it's 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 more than horrible. But that's the only word that I can that I can bring up. And you guys know I don't like to bring in you know real world real world stuff in here. I, I'd like to keep it very clean and very you know not not clean, but just very you know very entertaining. That's that's it. All I want to do is give the movie news to you guys. Say my quippy jokes every now and then, and then, you know, let you be on your way. But uh, what is happening right now is it's, it's, it's fucked up. I'll just, I'll just be honest. It's fucked up. And I don't know, again, I don't know how to articulately put this together without swearing even more. And I just want, you know, you guys to be safe. If you know anybody uh, that is affected by this, one way or another, everyone's, going to be affected by this whether they show it or not so check in on them check in on your friends you know even even if the most you want to do is put up a picture use the hashtag stop asian hate do it um it shows that you're there for them shows that you're in solidarity with them and that can be more than enough for anyone who feels alone right now so okay uh that's it all i got for you guys thank you guys so much again check out all the links down below and i will see you guys next week uh hopefully uh maybe enjoy your weekend guys uh as always go watch some movies yeah give it up movies